Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome back to That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. Today, I am joined by Judy Nam, who is Vice President of Small Business Marketing at Indeed, and someone I get to work with quite often. Judy is a seasoned marketer with over 15 years of experience leading high-performing teams and building scaled marketing initiatives that drive both brand and business growth. Judy has built a lot of that experience through her time at Google, on her own ventures, and now at Indeed. I really enjoy getting to work with Judy and a few things strike me in our interactions. Firstly, she leads with empathy. She is very open to views and perspectives that people have, but has just an amazing ability just to move things along. She is a very international or global mindset. She cares deeply about helping small businesses be successful and she really enjoys what she does. So it was great to take some time with Judy outside of our regular work-related calls to find out more about how she has come to lead in this way. What are the things she might hold strong views on? What advice she has for listeners in small businesses thinking about their marketing? And advice for us as we all are heading into some more challenging times. Judy, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. Great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, listen, I have done a bit of an introduction to your to your background, but I, I'm kind of interested, as I meet people for this podcast, I kind of think there's nearly two categories of people in marketing. Those that grew up watching advertising and say, I always want to be in marketing. And then a set of people maybe like me who haven't had like a direct path to marketing. I know you... You did biology, am I right? In in university, and that's right. I am, I am definitely in that second grouping. I had no idea this is where I'd end up when I started out in life. How did it, how did it happen? How did you go from biology to to marketing? It's it's not a linear path. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, it, it's a bit of a mystery, even to myself, having lived through it. And I think it kind of um, I know the genesis and origin of it, which is based. Basically, my life plan is to not have a plan. So, you know, I can talk more about that. But um, it was really a matter of uh, timing, I think. So, so you know, I, I studied biology at UCLA undergrad. I thought maybe I'd go to medical school or maybe go to vet school. And then I realized, oh, you have to go to more school. I probably don't want to do this. And so, <laughs> so I, uh, I navigated my way into the next closest thing, was, which was a hedge fund that invested in biotechnology companies. And that was an interesting uh, detour. And I learned a lot that uh, perhaps finance and that whole industry isn't my cup of tea. Okay. <laughs> but in that time... Um, there was a, I got a call from a company that was sort of newly emerging um, and high, you know, sort of on the cutting edge of technology. And they said, hey, we give you free food and you don't ever have to dress up in business clothes, work for us. And we're just looking for smart people. And I said, hey, that sounds like something I can live with. And it, it happened to be Google. And so um, I started my career uh, in 2004 at Google, having pretty much no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, and I ended up in, you know, their, their sort of sales business where most of the, the sales was obviously their, their advertising products. And so that's really where I started. And I think I learned about advertising through digital advertising at the time, which was still pretty nascent and yeah. learning the ins and outs of the technology, like the ad tech itself is really how I got started in marketing. Um, and then I kind of made my way into being an actual marketer of the advertising itself. And so 
that's where I started. And I think starting in technology, everything is always changing. And for somebody like me who has a ton of curiosity and kind of gets bored pretty fast, um, I was hooked. So that's a bit about how I landed where I, you know, that was sort of the path to where I am today. It, it's it's so fascinating to, and I think, you, you know, as again, as I've talked to people, curiosity seems to be a thing that if you have curiosity, you know, it's not the only thing that was required for marketing, but it, it seems to be a really, you know, like a, a competency almost that, that you, we need to have. Absolutely. I mean, I think that th- when I talk to marketers, as I've worked in marketing for many years now, I feel like there's a few commonalities in marketers that you find. Like one is people who are problem solvers, like Mm -hmm. they just love a problem and they will be on it and try to solve it. And, you know, with the tools that within marketing, especially nowadays, there's just so many ways to solve problems, right? We have so many really cool tools and avenues. So that's one. And then the second part is a true interest in people and people are pretty enigmatic. They're confusing, you know, they're irrational. And so I think we are constantly a source of curious behavior, perhaps. And so I think when you got problem solving and curiosity in people, like those two things make for um, some really great marketers who, who really love the craft. Yeah, and I, th- and I think that interest in people, because people never do what, they, what you want them to do or think they'll do. Like you could have, you know, on paper, the best marketing campaign and people may not react mm-hmm. to it the way you want. And, you know, so I, it's just, Trying to then understand that even after the fact is just is fascinating because it's just such a yeah there's there's no rhyme or reason sometimes. Yeah, and you know, and it's funny because marketing, yeah, you can never predict the future, but you know, you have a hypothesis and you do the best you can with the information you have, which honestly is very similar to like my chemistry lab experiments that I had to do in undergrad. Right? It's like this is the whole exercise is is exploration and discovery and. And having an intention, but understanding that things will go in many different directions, including all those ones that you couldn't have predicted. And that's also the excitement, right? Because in marketing, it's like you get to try again, um, which is really, really awesome, right? And especially again now that with like so many different types of marketing and digital, like the the notion of optimization and, and tweaking things is, is available to us, which is fantastic. Yeah, I, actually, when I joined indeed i'd come from agencies and so it's a very different skill set i think when you're in agencies it's more about you know a brief coming in and trying to respond to it and you you don't have i think that skill necessarily i think you have the curiosity but the the point you make about hypotheses i don't think that exists Mm -hmm. in any of the agencies i worked in and i came to indeed and people were like oh what's your hypothesis i was like excuse me (laughs) I haven't heard that word since yeah. like third grade when yeah. you had to do your science experiments. Yeah. Um, like Googling it. Uh, um, but it, it is like, it's a fascinating thing to actually think that way. And, and it is interesting to think like that, you know, background in science probably allowed you think mm-hmm. that way for people who, who aren't aware of that kind of way of, of thinking, or, you know, maybe people who join your team, you're like, Look, what's your hypothesis? How would you guide someone through kind of trying to, trying to get to something like that? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have to, the, the other kind of analogy maybe is like, you know, trying to build a recipe for a dish that you've never cooked before. Right. And you're like, look, I need to think about what's the end. And I always tell people, start with the end, like imagine, visualize the most successful outcome you could imagine for what you're trying to do. Right. And let's assume you kind of have a 
a driving need, a forcing function for why you're doing something to begin with. And so I always tell people, like, think from that that end goal. You're crossing the finish line. There's a great parade. What does that look like, right? Like, which people have you reached? What have you asked them to actually do? What are you expecting are the success metrics? And then we kind of work backwards, right? And we solve the mystery moving backwards. And that's where we end up with building, you know, the hypothesis, your assumptions, what are the things that you actually need, like those ingredients that you know you have to work with. And then and then it's about stitching it together and using, you know, your intuition and probably a really big dose of luck. And, <laughs> and then you kind of get what you get, you go, right? Um, so so that's kind of what I do with, with like people when, when I'm like, it sounds a little too, you know, scientific or, or, or formal. And then the other thing I tell people is like, also like, just go. Like, you're also going to learn more from failing and doing versus like trying to set up the world's most exquisite experiment. It's like, who cares Mm. if you never run it because you run out of time. And so it's like, (laughs) you know, you're never going to feel comfortable with feeling like you have all the the information. Because again, the goal is not to try to predict the future. Nobody can do that. Your best, you know, your, your goal really is to try to get out there, learn something, get some feedback, get some data. And so, like, let's rinse and repeat until we get it right. Um, but that's that's it. Start with the end, visualize the the end result, and then let's work backwards and try to 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 create an experience that's going to help you achieve that goal. Yeah, and somebody had said to me once, like, a great question to ask is, "What decision would you will you make at the end of this?" Like, and actually starting to try mm-hmm. to figure out, well, what what would your decision make if this works? If it doesn't work, like, you know, if it doesn't work, does that mean well, this is a failure? And yeah. I think to your point about just go. Sometimes just go allows you kind of go, well, here's potential options of it, of this could go in different ways. And I know what decision I would make because if it's not perfect, you know, you know that the decision isn't, well, let's never do this again. It's you're figuring out which <laughs> week, right? Because that's almost a dangerous yeah. decision sometimes. Actually, I mean, look, you, you want to go, but you don't, you know, you want to go because speed is good, but you don't want to be reckless, right? Yeah. I, think, I, I think there are some guardrails, <laughs> some like take a minute to put your thoughts together. Because I, I do think most marketing campaigns are successful because a lot of the upfront strategic work has been done as best as you can without spending ages on it. Um, but at some point, you kind of, you got to call time and you got to yeah. move forward, right? You've had like a couple of kind of roles like product marketing, brand, SMB. I when I look and kind of through through your kind of career path today, it seems to have landed kind of in an, in a small business marketing and product mm-hmm. marketing world. And I, I think I recall you saying that you kind of you adore small businesses because you, it's in your it's in your family and your background. I'd love to hear a bit about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I mean, you know, my my family immigrated from South Korea to the United States in the 70s. And, you know, my dad, I think, landed with like maybe $100 in his pocket, you know, back in 1972 or something like that. And and he had to like just go, right? He had, you know, he was here to, to make a, a new life for his family. And the one avenue for many immigrants oftentimes is either working in a business and eventually kind of graduating to purchase a business and run it on yourself. And I think 
that's just what our communities are made of these days, right? If you think about the diversity of neighborhood and, and when I think about like, when I, where do I want to live or where do I want to travel and visit? You know, I'm not usually not planning my, my European vacation because I want to go to a Starbucks, you know, like, <laughs> hey, which is the best start? You know, I'm usually like, look, I'm going to find some really cool business on Instagram or I'm going to walk around a neighborhood. And these are like the places that, um, you know, are, are run by the locals yeah. or your neighbors. And they employ people and they contribute back to the community and they make your community the place you want to live. And so to me, that's, that's like, I feel like I need to contribute to that. And so if I can do that professionally, if I can do it personally by, you know, always trying to find a local business to support versus a big one, um, that's important to me because I yeah. think businesses not only make our communities, but they make people's lives, right? Like these are people feeding their families, they're feeding other people's families and, and trying to keep community is thriving. So to me, it's personal and, and it's sort of born out of like me, like running around the aisles of my, my parents' supermarket when I was quite young and just really enjoying that experience. And you get to know all the employees and like the regular customers. And it was just a cool experience. And like, the more we have that in our communities, I think it'll just be a better place for, for us to live. Yeah. And I love, yeah, I can, you know, can visualize that, like, just know, like the customers, right. Just like seeing the customers mm -hmm. and getting to know them and, you know, that ties to your curiosity of, you know, liking people and wanting to know about, know about people and how that can kind of inform your marketing now. Absolutely. And like, I think for brick and mortar businesses too, like there's so much of the personal experience. Like one of the things I love doing when my parents owned a supermarket is I really liked to uh, organize the jars on the shelf like it was really important to, i mean it was also a job i could do as a little kid you know <laughs> yeah, with yeah. pretty pretty low risk uh, but like you know just making sure that the, the jars looked really nice or when i got to graduate to helping bag groceries like i tried to do it as quickly and as efficiently as possible and you know making sure that you know the customer wasn't given one giant bag with a thousand cans of, of food in it or something like that gonna collapse. and i think that's the kind of yeah i know <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff people remember right like people remember like how they love going to their local grocery store or love going to that local restaurant or to their veterinary office, right? Like, and that's the stuff that I think any business can have an opportunity think, to think about, right? Their customer experience. And it doesn't always apply just to physical businesses, right? Like you could be an online business or a remote business now. And, and that service experience is super memorable yes. to customers. So as a marketer, you know, I think not just about the marketing, the advertising that we do, but like, what is our customer's experience with our total company, right? Like everything yeah. from, in our case, you know, coming into Indeed and signing up and posting a job by yourself, you're sitting at your desk, but maybe you call customer service if you run into a problem or you get an email from us helping you throughout your, your life cycle. Like in totality, that whole thing has to be awesome. Otherwise, we have not earned your business. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, it kind of brings me to marketing to small businesses because we know and you know well that, you know, a small business often, you know, the owner is doing everything. Like they, they, they have to kind of do everything. So they wear so yeah. many different hats. And they also, because it's so personal to them, I think the, you know, control is the wrong word, but being able to make the decisions is really important. So hiring is, you know, in, in our world, is like clearly mm -hmm. really important that you get that right in a small business because it can have such a, a knock-on effect. But to that point about Absolutely. busyness and, ha and how busy a small business owner is, they can be incredibly hard people to reach. How mm -hmm. do you, how do you 
address that. <laughs> I'm not giving away the secret sauce. <laughs> I, you know, there isn't, there isn't a lot of secret sauce. It's just, I think it's a, a pretty traditional formula. And when I think about like what makes for good marketing, um, you know, I think about always delivering value. So I don't think about it as advertising or marketing. I think about it as what am, what's the value exchange, right? If I can get three seconds of your time, I better make those three seconds worthwhile to you. And so that is the first and foremost, most important thing. Like what value am I delivering? Um, not what message am I trying to plant in your head? What's the tagline that I'm trying to get out there? It's like, no, 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 no. How am I helping you? So that's number one. Um, I talked a bit about good experiences. So again, trying to think end to end of that person's experience, like what is the whole thing going to be and, and how, um, you know, enjoyable will it be for them? And then I think the, like the third and the fourth are that people are irrational. So we can come up with the most <laughs> rational, scientifically proven data backed case for why a customer should do something. And it does not matter. You have to understand your customer as a person mm. and understand that they are not going to make calculated decisions as they go, especially small businesses who, to your point, are very busy. They are managing so many dimensions of running a business. Um, they do not want to become HR experts. They do not want to become digital marketing experts. <laughs> like They're like, <laughs> I just need to get this done. Um, and then that kind of lands me on the fourth one, which is like people are too busy to pay attention to your marketing. So if you do all the three things above right, hopefully you will cut through the clutter and grab their attention and deliver something that is meaningful, which will help them do what you want them to do. Yeah, I, I think you, you've mentioned two things there and um, you've talked about kind of, you know, how busy, how hard it is to cut through and then attention. And there's a lot of focus yep. now on, you know, the work like Karen Nelson Field is doing on kind of the attention metrics and that kind of being a new um, maybe way to measure some advertising and how you how you buy it. But I think there's a lot of evidence that just shows that people are not paying a lot of a lot of attention. And so you have to make sure that you're yep. landing, as you say, like the, the pieces of your messages in a way that actually do get their attention, which is which is hard in, in marketing to kind of mm -hmm. create attention Um do you think, you know, if you think about people who are doing, you know, marketing to small business, indeed aside, of course, to a wonderful job, is there anyone that you're looking at that kind of going, I'm really admire the work that they do and, and the way they capture the attention of, of the small business community? You know, I bet you there are tons of companies that do really great SMB marketing and, and some I follow and I think they're just really great. I think to me, I think the classics... I know Meta these days is not um, honestly in, in a great standing for a lot of different reasons, but historically, and, and I've worked with the um, small business marketing team there in the past, and they're fantastic people who really care. And I think one of the things that perhaps Facebook um, has done really well for the small business community is really engage these small businesses around training and understanding how to use the tools that Meta offers. And so instead of advertising at them, they're instead inviting them in to help them grow the capabilities for the business owner to then do their marketing, engage with their customers, grow their businesses the way they want to. And so I've always really admired Facebook's investment in those types of programs. Yeah. Um, I, I spent a lot of my time at Google doing similar-ish type programs. And again, with the same mindset, right? Like instead of, again, constantly advertising at the customer base, we did a lot of um, investment in workshops where we were able to bring people 
in to learn the skills. And then also to like marketing a lot of the free stuff that many technology companies offer because small businesses are very budget conscious um, and, you know, showing them and building trust and credibility with some of our free products was always a really helpful and and interesting way to kind of start a relationship with them. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, if we go back to the point of small business owners have so many things to try, get their heads around. They, I think a lot of them, they know marketing is important for their business, but often like, where do you start? And, you know, you look at larger organizations, you know, maybe like ours that, you know, lots of skills across lots of different areas of marketing. Where would a small business owner, if some, like someone's a small business owner listening to this today, going, right, where do I start with my marketing? Like, what would, would there be two or three things you would say to somebody to, to, to think about first? Yeah. Um, I would always, I would tell people like, look, you got to get your online presence done. Right. And so again, trying to, if you know your customers and where they are theoretically roaming around, um, you need to meet your customers where they are at. And oftentimes, like these days, if you're not online, it's like you don't exist as a business, right? Because we're not driving around business, you know, your neighborhood and looking for a plumber. Yeah. Um, there's not a storefront. And so, but hey, when a plumber plumbing need shows up, guess where your customer, your future customer is going to go to first is their phone and they're going to look up plumber near me. And so like really thinking about the customer and how the customer might ultimately end up to find you and then saying, am I in all of those places, right? So do I have a website? Am I on my local maps listing services? You know, am I on Facebook? If that's the thing, am I on Instagram again, if you have a very visual um, business or product or service. So it's really like thinking like their users and where their users might go in terms of the discovery to find them, making sure that they are there in all those places. And again, a lot of those, a lot of those surfaces tend to be free. It just takes a little bit of know-how to get started. And so that then is like, okay, great. I want to do that. Well, how do I do that? I've never created a website by myself. And there's now a lot of different local services, consultants that help with like very basic kind of getting started packages with small businesses. But the other thing I always think about is like reaching out to friends and family. There's so many people now that, that do this stuff, right. Um, That, that are familiar with these, the basics of like kind of an online presence. Um, I often hear people say, Oh, I got my like nephew and he's, he's, he's super good on the computer and he did it for me. I'm like, that's fantastic. Like, just get started, like, and don't overthink it. I think that's the other thing too, like going from that zero presence to that first presence sometimes is a mental hurdle for people. And I say totally, but guess what? You're going to get 900 different chances to make this better. It's better to show up because every minute you're not showing up, you're missing out on customers. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. I think I think that network effect of, you know, who do you know that could just help? Because sometimes it's a it's a 30 minute or a 60 minute conversation with somebody to demystify, you know, mm-hmm. everything that, that goes behind it. Cause you know, it, thankfully it's not rocket science, you know, marketing, uh, it can be complex and complicated totally. because there's so there's mm-hmm. so much out there. Right. And I think pe- people yeah. struggle with, well to your, like, should I be on Instagram? Should I be on, you know, what platform should I be on? But, it, you know, maybe just taking it a step back and saying, well, who, who comes into my shop? And then where might they be, right? Because, you know, if it's a certain general. The other other, like kind of dirty secret I tell people is like, think about your closest competitor or another company in your industry that you admire. Yes. And maybe take a book out of their page and start with that kind of experience, right? Like 
Um, there's no shame in that, but because guess what? They're they're a mentor or model for you. Um, so that's another way to kind of get a sense of, hey, like what might work and how do I get started and what what are the few things I need to pick, right? So it's like you can cheat a little bit and it's okay. Yeah, and, you know, thinking about, you know, reach, I know there's lots of kind of the Armour Bass Institute have obviously their, you know, view on kind of reaching the widest audience mm-hmm. possible. And they came out recently with some advice for small businesses because, you know, a lot of theirs kind of work would be around you know tv advertising being a broad reach channel but if you're a small business you can't probably afford to be on tv right um so being able to start and think well there you go possibly good for it It depends right like yeah it absolutely depends right so again it it depends on your business model and and oftentimes that's why i i use the whole like look and see what they're doing because they may have solved some of these things for you right if you are a, a local business where television advertising is ROI might be there, then go ahead and do that. Um, versus sometimes I think small businesses often take the, an overly conservative approach and they'll say, well, I'm just going to start with all the free stuff. And then yeah. you do that and you wonder why it doesn't work. And you're like, well, you're paying zero dollars. <laughs> and you ch- and unfortunately, the only things you selected are things where your customers aren't engaging with, right? Yeah. If television is where it's at, then like, go ahead. And again, marketing is an investment. If you're either investing your time or budget, there are resources going into it. So think about, again, what is your hypothesis, right? If I invest $10,000 in a local television spot that runs, you know, for XYZ weeks, what might I get out of it? And if yeah. it makes some sense, try it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or radio, you know, again, I think about this radio. market, radio is great, um, great Absolutely. platform for, for small businesses. And, and, but then there's, you know, like you can't market word of mouth and that goes back to the, you know, experience that people have, right. And, mm-hmm. and that's the hard one to, to measure. The other one I'd love to hear your thoughts are on, I guess, the difference between differentiation and distinctiveness, because a lot of, a lot or many small businesses may not have a totally different product that they're offering to those competitors or people they, they admire, but they might actually have an opportunity to be distinct in how they show up. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And that's where, you know, again, that's part of cutting through the clutter, right? It's not just your advertising, but it's also, what are you offering? Like, what's your story? And I think, again, that kind of goes back to, there's two things, right? One is knowing your customer and what matters to them. Right. And, the second part is you're running a business. This is your your pride and joy. What are you most proud of of your business? And is that a differentiator? And should you talk about that more, especially it, for businesses where perhaps what they're offering is a bit more of a commodity, right? Yeah. People oftentimes um, differentiate based on service, right? Or um, some sort of quality measure. Um I generally don't love when people just try to compete on price because that tends to be a bit of a race to the bottom and that isn't enjoyable for most people, including (laughs) their customers. Um, But I would say like, you know, being genuine and true and being not ashamed to talk about what they are most joyful about in terms of their business and why they're in it and why they like to support their customers can often be a really interesting way to differentiate yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do agree with you on, on price. That race to the bottom just isn't good. Isn't good for anybody. Um, and, you know, you see, and of course, the you know, the joy of being able to build a brand and building a brand doesn't mean you have to be Coke or Nike or whoever, you know, you can build a brand in your local 
community and neighborhood, as you as you say, but actually, if you have a brand and, and decent brand equity, it means you can actually hold on to that price premium in in a way that people yeah. you know because people trust the product, they value the product, they value the service yeah. you provide, and and you know certainly, you know, I've seen that here where I live with some local businesses that people have, and 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 it's great. We talked a bit about how small businesses should approach marketing, but I'd love to go back and talk about maybe some of your marketing beliefs that you you've kind of built up over over your career to date are there any kind of core marketing beliefs that you you really hold true and are like maybe non-negotiables for you I, I talked a, about a few of them you know like the delivering value and making sure that the experiences are really memorable um, I think one of my core beliefs is that the customer always knows better and I don't mean in terms of like, you know, how do I make my product or service better? How do I make it more efficient? But rather like they always know the problem that they need to get solved. And so one of the things I always sort of believe in and, and encourage my my teams to do is, is talk to customers, get in with them. And you will be so overwhelmed by the simplicity that mm. often comes from our customers saying like, look, this is all I really want, right? So you're going to get all of your assumptions debunked. You're going to probably find a much simpler and better way to speak about the value that your brand offers. And you're going to understand how the closer you get to solving your customer problems instead of trying to solve your internal business problems mm. helps to actually improve the performance of your marketing campaigns. Yes, yeah, speaking to customers. And often I think we can get caught up in our day-to-day marketing and, and we step away from that. How do you how do you find those moments to go meet and see and speak to customers? I've, I've worked with small businesses for so long that I'm like the creepy person who, um, <laughs> you know, for like in an official way, we would always love for our, our teammates, you know, who we are, who are working on our audience to go and find an actual customer, ask them about our, our product experience. But that's very hard, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's quite formal. You got a schedule and it's, it's disruptive to the business owner. So what I started doing is as I just navigate my community and in, in my life, I just notice things and I talk to business owners while they're like helping me get my sandwich. Right. And I'm like, Hey, how's it been with your employees? Like, you know, how's hiring been? Have you hired recently? And they're just like, yeah, you know, they'll, 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 you know, give you their thoughts and you learn so much indirectly. Right. About just kind of like, Hey, they don't care. They're not using language. Like I really wish I had an end to end hiring platform (laughs) partner to help Right. Or I really wish I had paid for performance pricing. Um, I, I'm saying these things because they're it's funny yes. to us, you and I, who work here at Indeed, because we know that these are strategic opportunities for us. And that's not untrue. But I think our, the marketer's job is to figure out how do I say that in the way that our customers would say it? Right. Yes. Because then it'll actually connect. Um so, so that's what I do. I tell people, like, just you don't have to go through all these formalities. Just go and talk to a business. One of the fun things we did recently on our team is we do this program called Dine Out. Um, We've been trying to do it like every quarter or so. And we give everybody on our marketing team a budget. They get to go and select a local restaurant or maybe like a small, you know, mom and pop shop market, enjoy a lovely meal. The only requirement is they have to spend all the money that we gave them. So recently we did a hundred bucks and it's been fun to see people who are like, oh yeah, I went to this place and I ordered a sandwich. It was $8.00. And I gave them a $92 tip oh, and I'm like, wow. I love it, you know? And so 
again, that it's just such a really great way for us to understand the value that these businesses, again, provide us in our lives and how important it is for us to support them. And then they get to experience sort of that experience in a different perspective. Yeah. Um, so that's another kind of way that we, we connect with our customers in a more lightweight way. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about that and, and I loved it because it, 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 it was a it was a get out, you know, and, and just this this is the world that we're operating in. And so get out, speak to speak to and just experience, you know, customers. You mm-hmm. can't that's where the insights come from, I think. And did you gather, Absolutely. did everyone kind of come back and say what they learned from that and share their stories? Yeah, yeah. So the the one thing, because again, we're still relatively remote, the way that we kind mm. of bonded over the experience was we had just everybody put together a single slide and it kind of showcased the restaurant they went to, who they went with, what they ate, what they ordered, and just any other kind of highlights from their experience. And so, and then we have a, a quick like little one hour session where we shared out some of our highlights. So we, we had a chance to kind of share and then it, you know, and inevitably people are like, oh my gosh, now I know where I want to go next. And yeah. I've got three new restaurants I got to hit up in my town because <laughs> I got some cool recommendations from friends. Amazing. No, I love that. And so just touching or continue on to kind of any beliefs, are there any other kind of beliefs that you, you have that you kind of feel strongly about? Yeah. I mean, I think really strongly is um, this notion of value. Right. Like I'll keep coming back to it because I think that's something that we always often miss because it's one of these things where we often put our needs ahead of the customers, right? Like, oh, we want to generate more revenue for our business. We want to get X number of new customers. And like when you write your brief with that starting point, you kind of miss the whole perspective of the value to the customer, right? And, And value is really awesome because it's completely flexible, right? Value could be like, oh, you have you're a plumber. I went and I fixed the leak in your bathroom. Okay, great. That was a really good value exchange. But I think a lot of marketers also have this opportunity to connect in terms of storytelling, entertainment value. And again, that that helping me make a decision, that's that differentiation. And so when you really focus on the customer and their problem, what value you can actually provide to them is going to make for the best brief. Right. Yeah. And to me, that's it's something that we sometimes forget about because we often go to market with like, oh, my gosh, we're so excited to tell you that we launched our new product. Yes, blah, blah, blah. And it's yeah. like, that's a good message for us internally. But why does a person outside of these you know, walls care at all? And so to me, that's that's got to be it. And, and I think the value part also sums up like. What is the story you're telling? How is the creative experience? And then not just like the creative itself, but like, again, the, the whole session, when is that person going to experience that piece of marketing, right? Is it a yeah. film? Is it a billboard? Is it a text? You know, it could be so many different things. And I think when you think about that whole customer experience, engaging with your marketing, that's where the like value exchange is really coming from, right? Were we disruptive? Were we disruptive in a good way yeah are you getting something for us capturing your attention for a little bit and ultimately have we gotten you closer to solving your problem yeah and i i you know i think that's really key to to like marketing where we you know we spend so much time on internal discussions and we can Mm just all you know talk to ourselves an awful lot and then Let's not get into marketing as an industry talking to itself, but just even in any mm-hmm. company, we, we can talk to ourselves. Or do you think like an agency or your agency partners play a really strong role in kind of breaking you out of that by asking 
difficult questions or do you think it should come or happens in the team or a bit of both? I think our, our agency partners are fantastic, right? And they're, they're a crazy, valuable resource for us because, you know, we are always working on our problems and our yeah. brand and our audience, right? And the benefit of agencies is they have a portfolio of problems that they've been able to solve. And I love the lateral thinking, you know, okay, great. So we're a technology company in the HR tech space. There could be a CPG company whose problem was similar-ish to ours and could be a really interesting avenue to 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 solve our problem. And so I think our, the best agency partners are ones that like deeply understand our business and are not afraid to just do what we ask them to do, right? And that is really about that partnership between client and agency partner that takes a lot of time, right? It takes years to, to develop a really great, trusting, true partnership. And I think the more people are willing to offer information and be really transparent about what's really going on to the level of like, you know, at times I may have even said things like, look, I got a boss who just needs to see this thing, you know, not right now. Does it apply to right my situation right now? But in the past I've, I've, I've had situations like that. And when you've been honest about things like that, your partner is just able to help you again, solve the problem, right? Cause we're yeah. solving a business problem. They're solving a client problem, which sometimes those two things are the same. Sometimes they're not. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think from, I, when I worked in agencies, one of the things that used to, I never understood until I kind of moved to client side was a brief would come in, you'd work on it, you'd have some sort of initial response and then it would go quiet, like for weeks <laughs> or months. And you'd be like, what is going on? And then it would just say, oh, we're not doing that anymore. It's like, well, well, like what happened? And so how, you know, how do you get to that point of like, and it is time, but that trust and just really good relationship with AC, are the things you, you do to kind of make that happen faster? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I bring them into the fold, right. And it's a bit like, so this, the silent period is yeah. AKA it's going through 9,000 levels of internal approvals and reviews. And somebody somewhere said, I don't like this and I don't like that. And then ultimately somebody gets frustrated and probably said, forget it. Yeah. (laughs) We don't understand this thing. So we're killing it. Right. So you see that now I love it when I bring my agency partners into for that ride. Right. Because it's not about making them sit around and advocate for their idea, but rather they just learn along with us. And I think about it more as like, adapting our strategy, not like trying to go through the gauntlet together, like in some sort of weird, torturous way. It's really like, hey, let's let's hear the feedback. And oftentimes agencies are a lot better at navigating internal negotiations because again, that's their business, right? Like yeah. they, they're familiar with that stuff. Um, and sometimes the marketer, the client is often like, hey, this is the biggest project I've ever worked on. And I, or I you know, work on one of these every five years. You're just not as good as at it, right? Yeah. And so I often think about bringing our agency partners truly like treating them like an extension of our team and just saying, look, Jim and Michael and Sally and Jennifer, they're just on our team. Yeah. Like, like it or not, we share information. There's NDAs for stuff like that we're uncomfortable with. Yeah. So like, let's do it, right? Like, why not actually just work together and truly collaborate versus having that imaginary wall? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does make, it makes such a difference. I think the other part for me is like you, you talked about it, it happens over time, but longevity of client agency relationships. I mean, we see it all the time that, 
you know, agencies mm-hmm. go, we see also marketing leaders go, and then with that, all this change happens. And sometimes it can be hard to actually sustain that relationship because it is over time that it gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I guess for you, as you think about, you know, people who might go into marketing leadership roles, any advice you'd have to them on kind of how to, how to think about that relationship as they, as they enter maybe a new role? Because you want to make an impact, right? When you start somewhere as a marketing leader. Totally, yeah. yeah. Um, what I would tell people is that like, like having an agency partner is a gift that you need to cherish and nurture, right? And so where, where I've seen this go wrong in the past is oftentimes the agencies often the scapegoat if something goes wrong. And I'm like, no, 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 you were responsible for this. And so like to be a true marketing leader, you have to own the work no matter how it got done, right? So whether it was your team an agency partner or some magical creature that came into the picture, ultimately you own the work and it's your responsibility. So if a relationship with an agency partner isn't going well, you need to lean in and make it awesome, right? And as a leader, you have that responsibility to set the, the sort of culture, the vibe, the how we collaborate. And I've seen too many times, many leaders just saying, well, I, it's kind of like outsourcing your problem yeah. to an agency is, is sometimes something that happens out of, I don't know, convenience, laziness, I don't know what. And to me, that equals disaster, mm. right? Like if you are trying to engage very talented people and likely making a pretty good investment, like do the work um, is what I tell people because otherwise you're wasting everybody's time. Just don't do it then. Um, and so sometimes people forget about that because they just think, oh, I can buy a brand name agency yeah. to come in, wave a magic wand and then it, I'm going to look awesome, right? And like, it doesn't work that way. It absolutely doesn't work that way. I love that line. Agency three days partner is a gift. That's, you know, that's, that's incredible. I, I love that. And um, we talked about some of the beliefs that you have and hold strong to. Are there any beliefs, your market beliefs that you've had that you've kind of gone, ooh, I, I got that one wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hold that as strong as I used to. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think one one that I've I've often like um, had, you know, a lot of tension with and healthy tension is is just around like data and measurement. So, I think being data informed, I feel like is where I've landed versus data driven when it comes to thinking about marketing because I think oftentimes data driven you again, especially with the SMB audience folks behave quite irrationally. And so sometimes the data does help us understand, oh, we wanted them to go left and they went right. So that's awesome. And I think being overly beholden to data sometimes makes us make bad decisions, right? Or makes us make decisions forgetting the customer and that these are actual human beings that make choices and decisions. So I think that's one of the ones that I I have a constant healthy tension around is like, data and research and we have to have as much information as we want but i also think there's a bit of um bravery let's say that marketers and brands need in terms of saying yes we get it we've we've talked to everybody but we can't just do what people ask us to do we have to also be bold and decisive at times and so we want to be informed with as much research and data as we can but ultimately we have to make decisions that are best for our brand and for our company and that feel maybe different and a bit counter to what everybody else is doing. Because again, how are you going to break out from the pack if you're just yeah. following what everybody else does? 
Yeah. So to me, that's probably one of the ones that is constantly changing. But same problem, right? It's the same problem of how do we predict we're going to land this right on a dime? It's like you can't. And you don't want to be completely reckless by not being informed at all and being absolutely clueless and, and without context. But you also can't be so precise and think yeah. that, again, this is a mathematical formula like because you're dealing with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not... It's not science, you know what I mean? In that sense, like it, it, there's yeah. the scientific elements to it, I think, but it's um, it's the human behavior and the human beings. And I think sometimes we think about B2B marketing, maybe it's more so on the enterprise side of things, but B2B marketing can often be accused of being boring and uninteresting and unentertaining and all the things we've talked about. How do you think about kind of that like the boldness and the disruption and, and kind of being more more enjoyable and are there people you think are doing enjoyable well i couldn't think of a better place to to be exciting if you're saying you know enterprise <laughs> marketing might be a place that is is sometimes you know maybe incorrectly labeled boring or, yeah. or too buttoned up and businessy it's like well great you know who's going to stand out the brand that goes and does something pretty exciting and interesting right and so to me I think that's a, a great mindset to come to the table with. Um, in terms of like other brands that I think are really interesting and maybe doing things like, you know, from a lifestyle perspective, I often think about like Airbnb or Subaru mm. or REI. Like I really loved REI's campaign from the past year or so, like their whole like Black Friday, instead of doing Black Friday sales, like every retailer, they had um, this opt outside. Um, program where they basically closed all their stores and they let their employees enjoy the outdoors, which I thought was so, so oh, refreshing man. because what it doesn't make any sense, right? Like most retailers are like the holiday shopping season is where we make the majority of our sales. Yet on one of the biggest days, we're going to close and not take sales. Um, to me, I thought that was like such an interesting differentiator because guess what? There's lots of other days in the week and the month that you can continue yeah. to do your shopping. But they made a statement about how important it was to their brand ethos about the, the notion of the outdoors. And that's really what they're trying to do is inspire people to enjoy the outdoors. And so I, I really loved that concept because they basically broke the mold. When everybody else is launching Black Friday sales like three weeks ahead of schedule, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like, whatever, we, we're, we're saying no. So I really loved I love when, when a brand does a bold decision like that, that is so core to their brand, which I think is also core to the values of their customers and is so counterintuitive to something yeah. as basic as profit or sales. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. Like that's hard, right? That is, that's the bravery to really kind of go and say, absolutely, this is what we, cause it's, yeah. And it's not like, I don't know if that's, you know, it's not a talk about purpose and I don't know if that's purpose, it's, but it's authentic. Right. It's just really mm -hmm. true to them. And I think like like anything in the world, I think, you know, we're drawn to people that are authentic and true, you know, like people That's we tend right. to like or people we feel are being their authentic selves. And it's probably the same for brands. Like we're not OK. Brands aren't human beings, but I think people are drawn to that authentic authenticity of of a brand. Right. It's not easy. to Absolutely. It's it's what inspires loyalty. Yeah. Right. Because in a world where switching costs are quite low, especially when it comes to like, where are you going to buy your next sweatpants or t-shirt? Yeah. Um, you know, why, how are you going to make loyal customers? Right. And that's, I think 
what you need to, any brand needs to think about, right? Like, what is it about us? How can we be genuine? How do we start to create trust and credibility to get the sense of loyalty over time? And for every brand, it'll be slightly different, I think. Um, but I think that that's one of the things I often think about too, is like, how do I help create a long-term relationship with our audience versus a transactional one? Yeah. Um, and so what are the, the unique things that we can say about us, create as an experience, or again, deliver value that, that generates loyalty as opposed to just generic repeat business yeah, right? yeah. out of necessity? Like a tr- yeah, tr- move from the transactional to you know something mm-hmm. else, and I think we can all think of brands that that do that well, and and that we you know we enjoy spending time or money with because mm-hmm. they actually add add that value. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I, I I don't like this question maybe, but you know it is a slightly difficult period I think in in the world generally, and I think for marketers there's probably just a degree of uncertainty about. You know, the future, um, you know, there's lots of talk about uh, recession. Again, don't like saying it. I don't want to talk us into it, but well, I'm not going to. But um, (laughs) I think, uh, you know, as you think about that and think, you know, think ahead, what are your thoughts on how, you know, not specifically you, but like marketers should be thinking about kind of planning for for that eventuality or, or not? Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously, nobody should be taking anything for granted ever. But I think in these very uncertain times, I think it's going to be a bit more heightened and, and we have to be sensitive to that. One of the things I would say to marketers, though, and, and I know there's a lot of folks right now who are actually going through layoffs, so very mm-hmm. sensitive to the, the current situation. But I think one of the great things about <clears throat> excuse me, marketing is marketing as a function within any company is aligned to growth. And so most companies want to grow. And one of the amazing things about marketing is, you know, that is a a capability that will come back, right? And so in some cases, some companies might be, um, you know, reducing their marketing investments currently, but because every company or for for the most part, most companies eventually want to reinvest in growth, marketing roles will come back. Now, when, and it's going to be the perfect one for you, I don't know. But I think this is where a a career in marketing is fantastic because it's quite flexible, right? There's usually always a case for a marketing investment, whether it's a a team or a headcount or budget. Um, So you as the marketer just need to continually stay focused on what's important to you, right? Like what, how do you want to show up as a marketer? Um, This might be a fantastic time for people who are, you know, unfortunately being laid off to maybe start to explore other areas of marketing, like either other disciplines within marketing yeah. or even other industries, right? If you work in tech and have for a long time, maybe there's other industries that you want to explore because guess what? Like growth is something that is inherent to marketing in general. Like we grow businesses, but marketers have to also grow our skills, right? Because marketing just as an, an area is constantly changing. And so I always tell people like, continue to be curious. Like even if you have the world's best marketing job and you are super secure, um, it will benefit you by constantly challenging yourself, right? Explore stuff, be uncomfortable, do those weird marketing things that you've never done before. Try services, invest in yourself. Yeah, Um, That's something that I always tell people to do. And you can do that at any point in your career, the highs, the lows, when you've got a fantastic job or maybe when you find yourself without one suddenly. Yeah, no, that's that's great. When you think about then your yourself and how you find the time to 
to invest in that and kind of your own curiosity and you know your your skills and and what what do you do like how do you go about finding the time and, and are there things you go to like are you an avid reader or or just take courses yeah yeah so i'm 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 definitely not i'm much more of a like an experiential hands-on learner so i'm not one to necessarily sign up for like the 10 week course that i have to do for five hours after a full work day kind of person <laughs> yeah. um i'm more of like the uh the dabbler who likes to sample from life's buffet and so what i do is i mostly just like find something that seems interesting and if it's like interesting and i'm kind of like intimidated because let's say i'm just like i don't know the space very well then i just go in and i do it and i out of the sake of curiosity and understanding you know how's how are other companies or industries doing marketing how are they creating customer acquisition pathways i just go and i try it and now that means i've invested my own funds to do it mm -hmm. but just like if somebody were to pay for a course many thousands of dollars sometimes i've perhaps invested in weird products that i've never heard of and probably should have never tried um and and to me like i think what makes it stick for me is it's always driven by my interest and my curiosity. So yeah. I've, I've rarely done something because somebody else told me I need to go and learn X. Right. You know, like I'm like, cool, I will never do that until somebody forces me to do it. Um, I generally try to lead with my own interests because then I'm self-motivated. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, again, it's tied to that just curiosity experience things and then you're learning from it you talked at the start about um no plan mm -hmm. <laughs> how does that work <laughs> and what and then you just oh said oh my god <laughs> it's the best it's the best thing ever right um i i have not I, I am not an ambitious person by nature i am somebody who's much more interested in experiences and like i think about it like collecting like badges like if i was mm -hmm. a girl scout and i said i i did that this badge and I did this badge because I just collected life experiences and that's really what motivates me and drives me. Um, it's worked for me in a few ways because one, it actually reduces a lot of disappointments. You know, I've seen a lot of folks either that I've mentored or even friends of mine kind of be disappointed because they're like, hey, I didn't get that promotion or I didn't get that title or I didn't get X, Y, Z. And I'm like, but there were so many other things that you got instead of that. And you might not be understanding and valuing those things as much as that one particular thing that you put all your expectations on. And so for me, it's just been a really great way for me to be able to, again, invest in my interests and my curiosities. And I'm self-motivated enough to know that, like, I don't want to ever sit still. Yeah. And it's, an, it's allowed me to have more of like a, a learning path as opposed to a, an achievement path, let's say. I really like that way of just completely reframing career, right? Because, you know, if you have set your sights on, you know, the CMO or the CEO or whatever it is, I actually spoke to um, Emer McCarthy, who's um, had worked for the brand Paddy Power, and she's now um, working with Wayflyer as, as their head of brand. But she actually said, she said, I never want to be a CMO. And I find that fascinating because, you know, marketing, it tends to be get in and that's the path. But actually just thinking about, I love the badges analogy. Like what are the badges I can collect along the way? And then appreciating those experiences and actually they then, they kind of form then the future path that will kind of 
happen in a way without kind of mapping it out. And it's not to say some people map things out, some people don't. That like each to their own, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Totally. I'm definitely absolutely. And again, like it doesn't. I'm not trying to convince everybody mm. who's got their 10 ten-year plans perfectly laid out that they should just throw them out the window. <laughs> it's just more what what has been working for yeah. me, right? And I kind of started like when you're young, being like. Oh, I went, I, got, I graduated with that degree in biology. You should do this. And I was like, nope, I'm not. And I think once I broke from that, I was like, man, I'm on my own and I'm on a journey and I'm cool with that. And yeah. it's, it's worked for me. And, you know, for folks who are like struggling maybe with another framework that they've been working with, perhaps they might consider it. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, what a great point to end. Judy, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Connor. It's really fun to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Judy truly enjoys what she does. And honestly, that comes through with every interaction I have with her. So the Judy you heard today is, is the same Judy that shows up to, to meetings we have uh, at Indeed. I love how Judy breaks things down. Like when we talked about hypotheses and she has this analogy of cooking and thinking of the end state of the recipe. What does the dish look like? What does the amazing dish look like? Judy has this real bias for action. And as she said, we're gonna learn more by going and doing and failing than waiting for perfection. And as someone who has worked in agencies, I enjoyed the line where she said, having an agency is a gift. I think that's something that can often get lost or forgotten, uh, certainly on the client side. I hope people from agencies really enjoyed hearing that perspective too. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy, please do share this episode and others and add comments with your feedback. Follow us on Twitter at that's underscore marketing. And if you or someone you know would be a great guest for the podcast, get in touch. I'll add an email address into the show description. So for me, Connor Byrne, thanks for listening.